0: tale to you. It goes like this. Once upon a time, a stonecutter lived all alone. Though he had acquired great skills, he was very poor. He lived in a tiny bamboo hut and wore tattered clothing. One day, as the stonecutter worked with his hammer and chisel upon a huge stone, he heard a crowd gathering along the streets. By their shouts, he could tell that the king was coming to visit his humble village. Joining in the procession, the stonecutter gazed on as the king, dressed in marvelous silk, was greeted by his subjects. Oh, how I wished I had the power and glory of the king, he thought. He he has his soldiers at his command. There is no one more powerful. Well, his cry was heard in the heavens, and immediately the humble stonecutter was transformed into a powerful king. He found himself riding on a great horse, waving at the crowds of people who had flocked to see him. This is power, he thought. As the summer progressed, however, the new king watched the effects of the heat upon his people. "'Men and animals becoming weary, and plants withered under the powerful rays of the sun. "'As he looked at the sky, the new king realized that the sun was more powerful than any earthly ruler. "'How I wish I were as powerful as that,' he thought. "'I wish I were the sun!' Immediately his wish was granted. "'The stonecutter relished his new role as the sun. "'He gloried in the power he felt as he surveyed the kingdoms below.' As he sent his bright rays to earth, he watched kings and princes hide under their parasols. He watched as powerful warriors became weak under his gaze. Even the crops in the field were under his command. Then one day, a tiny cloud moved over the land, shielding the earth from the sun's bright rays. Seeing that here was something more powerful, he thought, I want very much to be a cloud. Again, his wish was granted. Now he blocked the sun's rays and felt important. He gathered all his strength, becoming a gigantic cloud, and began to pour down rain on the earth. Rivers formed where previously there were none, and water flooded the streets of the cities and the farmland. Everything, trees, animals, people, seemed to be awed by his power. Only the massive rocks were unswayed. There is nothing, he thought, as powerful as a rock. How I wish I were a huge stone! His wish was granted. As a stone, he remained motionless and powerful, unmoved by the sun, wind, or rain. He felt exempt from all the forces that shaped the existence of those around him. Then one day, a man approached, carrying a bag. When he stopped, he pulled out a chisel and hammer and began to chip away at the rock. Realizing that the man with the tools was more powerful than any rock, he cried out, Oh, I want to be a stonecutter. Once again, the heavens heard his cry, and he became a stonecutter. Cr- Once again, he lived in a bamboo hut and made his living with a hammer and chisel, and he was finally content. I think that story probably sounds a lot like us sometimes, where we're constantly looking for something else besides what's right in front of us, or we're constantly thinking something else is better or the grass is greener in someone else's yard. That's why I wanna talk about contentment this morning. Uh, And and, and, and honestly, when we talk about contentment, um as I was looking through some of these things and what the scriptures have to say scriptures have to say a lot about contentment this is a highly and profoundly biblical concept that the scriptures teach us about and who better to learn than from a guy who was just like the stonecutter his name was Solomon and he writes a book called Ecclesiastes and that's where we're going to be uh this morning he starts this book uh, uh about this very similarly to what our stonecutter was like and he And he starts the very first thing, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is utterly meaningless. And so he begins this search, where do I find meaning? Where can I find fulfillment? And he starts this chase, and Solomon is basically talking about most of his life where he's looking for this meaning, for this fulfillment, this joy, this type of satisfaction. And we kind of come to a climactic point of it in chapter 5, and that's where we're going to sit this morning, at the end of chapter 5. You see, by the time he gets here, Solomon is writing as an old man, looking back on his life in reflection. And he's talking about this chase, this this experience through life, trying to find this fulfillment, this joy, or this satisfaction, this contentment. And he says, man, I've been chasing this for a long, long time, and I think I figured out the ticket to it. And so we're going to pick up in in chapter 5, starting in verse 18, and this is what it says. Solomon tells us, behold... with joy in his heart. And Solomon writes about uh, this call to eat and drink and enjoy, and you know what he means by this. He means that we get to have guilt-free seconds this week, and you don't have to worry about anyone casting any judgment because it's biblical for us to do it. It's right here. Actually, that's not it at all. Um, and I'm hoping when we read this, we can see this idea of contentment that Solomon is bringing his readers to. See, Solomon's writing in contrast to a backdrop that would describe his world this way and probably describes our world in a similar fashion. There's so much of if-only statements that are going on, and I think Solomon is experiencing some of that in his chase. And some of us are like that as well. Some of us just say, man, I would find contentment. I would find satisfaction if only I were like him or her. Man, if only I were stronger, or if only I were taller or smarter, if only I were younger or healthier or wealthier, man, if only my kids were different, if only my marriage was different, if only my job was different, I'd be set, I'd be satisfied, I'd be fulfilled. Man, then I would be content. You're going to hear over the next few minutes, me talk about and say this word content a lot. And, and I think it's fair that we ask a few questions with that because, man, it really, at the end of the day, what is contentment? What is contentment? If, if Solomon makes a big deal about it right here, what is it? And, and let's kind of get a little honest right here. Is it really that important? Like, does contentment really matter that much in the grand scheme of things? And if it matters that much, if it really is important, how do we get it? Like, how do we arrive at that place where we are content with our life? So, I start out asking that first question, what is it, man? What is the essence of contentment? Well, this is something I struggled with a lot, and it's still something, if I'm being honest with you, uh, is, is something that I wrestle with just in my own life. Like, how, what in the world does it mean for me to be content? What in the world does it mean for me to be and find joy and satisfaction to, to find this description that Solomon just gave us right here with my own life? And so I, I kind of had to look some things up because I, I was like, I'm going to present this here in a few days, and, and I just don't know what it is I'm talking about here. And so there was a guy, his name is Jeremy McKean, and he presents a message on this. And so I, I need to be candid with you. A lot of this part of this comes from his message. It's something that I'm learning and wrestling with myself. And McKean says that one of the ways that, or maybe the key way that we discover what contentment is, is that we need to know that it is active and not passive. That contentment is an active way of life, not a passive space or place or arrival point. You see, many of us think of it as a passive event. Many of us think there's one thing or one place or one status upon which we arrive, like, we're striving, and if we get to this particular place in life, then I get to be content, or I get to experience contentment at least for a moment. There was a conversation, I've actually had this conversation with someone, uh, with more than one person, but fairly recently, a uh, conversation with someone who was telling me that um, they're kind of struggling right now in life. They, that, he wants to find something different, but at the same time, he wants to be content with what God has given, right? I don't want to appear ungrateful for the things that God is doing in my life or has done for me, but at the same time, I kind of feel like I should be striving for more, or striving for better, or striving for greater. And he asks that. He, he, says, he says that I'm torn between self-improvement and self-contentment. Should I be satisfied with where I am, or should I strive for something that's more, I think a lot of us live in that tension, don't we? So many of us live in that tension. I know I do. I know I do. How do I conduct my life that demonstrates that I'm thankful to God for what he's doing, but at the same time, man, how do I get better? Or maybe I should get, like, there should be something different. What do I do, Lord? What do I do? I have a coach friend that that told me a long time ago, he says, losing bothers me more than winning satisfies. And I think the point he's making is that when contentment is passive, complacency takes its place. And so the solution, I think, is in understanding the active nature of contentment, not its passiveness. Solomon says in Proverbs 15, 15, he says, A cheerful heart has a continual feast. Solomon really wants you to eat a lot this week, doesn't he? He talks about this life as, a, as food a lot and participating in this a lot. But in this proverb, when he says a cheerful heart, what he's really talking about is a contented heart. One that has found contentment, man, that is a continual feast, a satisfying experience. Look in verse 18 again. Uh, of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Solomon says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and to drink and to find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. And contentment is not just knowing that there is food and drink and enjoyment. Contentment is the active participation and the activity of eating and drinking and enjoying and working and working. It is taking what is already before you and making the most of it. This is a highly profound biblical concept. The Bible is chocked full of this idea that we make the most out of what's in front of us. It's not a passive satisfaction. It is an active one. It is one that we do. G.K. Chesterton says it this way. He says, true contentment is a thing as active as agriculture. It is the power of getting out of any situation all that there is in it. Man, that's a really, really good way of seeing this. It's a really good way of understanding the book of Ecclesiastes. Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, actually reveals the secret of contentment. He gives this big, giant teaching and this big explanation to the people that are going to be reading his letter, the church that's going to benefit from his letter, and he crescendos... In verse 13, and this is the one that we have clung to so hard as a people, as a church. And many of you have posted this verse several times. Many of you have, have put this on uh, different things that you like notebooks and, and, and things to, and reminders for you. And some of us have even hung this in our own living rooms and on our mantels and, and in frames and things like this to remind us. And, and in, in Philippians chapter 14, Paul does not tell us that I sit back and do nothing but complain about my plight in life through Christ who strengthens me. He says, I do all things through Christ and strengthens me. I do all things. It's an active place for Paul. And he says, this is the secret of contentment. This is what it is. Active, man, it's Christ's strength, it's Christ's strength that's the activity that maximizes the moment for us. If we want to make the most out of what's in front of us, we tap into the strength that Christ gives us. It's active because we say, I have, not if only I had. Because you see, at the end of the day, no matter what our plight is, we have Christ. And because we have Christ, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, if this is true, we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to distinguish between what's a desire and what's a need. And I think if you're anything like me, there are so many times when you're convincing yourself that that a desire is an actual need, or you're convincing those around you that a desire is a need, or you're just trying to move that into that space when, in fact, a desire is just a want or a wish, and it is okay for us to want or wish something. Like, God is okay with us wanting something, but if we say that this is a need, then it makes it seem like more important. This week, uh, my brother is coming down with his family. They're going to stay with us a few days over the holiday. And he's, he's got a family of six people that are coming and staying with us. Um, and we get to host it. And i got to be honest with you. I am looking forward to this so much. This is the first time in I don't know how long that we have been able to be together during a holiday. And it's just my family and his family, at least for a couple of days. And I'm desperately looking forward to this. But here's the deal. Don't tell my brother I said this, okay? He is really good at cooking. He is a master chef, and this year will be the first time I've ever been in charge of making the turkey. All right? So as he's coming in, I start looking up, all right, what is the way that I can make this turkey the absolute best? How do I one-up Tony when he comes in to where he says, man, I could never do that? So I discovered that if I spend about $2,900, I can get the right pellet grill smoker thing that will make the turkey in perfection and probably take me to space at the same time. All right? And, and, and if I do this, uh, it, look, if I want to, it, look, I need to make this perfect so that he knows when he tastes this that, man, uh, I got him, Right? The reality is, that's just a want, and the need that we get to experience this week is the time together and the conversation together and the, man, the desperately missed time that we have had and get to catch up and our families get to play together and we get to talk together and we get to laugh together, we're probably going to do some crying together. That's the need that we have, but my desire is to outdo any of his cooking. And the reality is, he's just gonna have to suffer with a burnt turkey. (laughs) But we get to experience the need right there. You see, the need trumps the desire. And there's an important question that we have to ask ourselves. Am I making the most of what I have now? Or am I focused on the burnt turkey? Am I susceptible to grumbling and complaining about what I don't have? I know I am. I know if I'm not on guard with that, that I can easily slip into grumbling and complaining about what I don't have or what I am not. You see, contentment is not the enemy of dreams and desires, so you don't have to lie about it. It's clarity so that you don't confuse desires with what is actually needed. And if we can do that, if we can distinguish between desires and needs, then I think we can also distinguish between present and future. And that's what contentment enables us to do. Contentment distinguishes present and future because it is making the most of the present, knowing that I can always improve in the future. I was reminded of this a couple of weeks ago, a couple, throughout the last couple weeks, uh, I've been able to go over to the powerhouse with Cameron and help set up a powerhouse for different things. For, uh, we got Upward, and we got Impact, and all these things like this. And I was reminded, you know, several years ago, we used to do worship in that building. And when I was doing youth ministry, about three to four times a week, I would have to set up, tear down, set up, tear down, set up, tear down, so that we could do what we're doing in here. And some of you remember that, right? And what we were doing without the, the activity that we were participating in there was making the most out of what God had given us but I will tell you what we're experiencing right now is a vast improvement. It is a blessing to not have to get here early and set up all these chairs so that we can all have a seat in here, and then right after service, although today it's going to happen, but right after service every week to have to tear them down so that we can do another ministry, and then do that all over again throughout the week so that we can have another ministry participate in this. We were making the most out of what we had knowing that in the future we are going to improve, It's definitely a a, a way for us to distinguish between the present and the future. If you look at verse 19 again, Solomon says that we are to accept your lot. And this isn't a passive acceptance. It is a call to eat and drink and toil and enjoy the lot that's in front of us. Use what you have and make the most of it. Deeply biblical concept. And so for that reason, contentment is important. It is important. It really does matter. And I think when we look at Ecclesiastes in chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, I see two massive reasons that contentment is a big deal from Solomon's words. The first reason is because life is short, he says. It's fleeting. And I think many of us spend so much time trying to make a safe or acceptable life that we don't actually live the one that's right in front of us. We don't actually make the most out of the moments that God gives us. In verse 18, Solomon says, The few days of his life that God has given him. Every person that is older than me has said something like this to me at one point or another in my life. They say that life happens so fast that when you're nearing the end of it, it feels like you just blinked. And so many people spend their whole life wishing for a day that may never come and miss right what's right in front of them. Is that you? Is that you? Do you find yourself consumed with a day that may never come? A moment that may never come? An experience that may never come? That you're missing a precious gift that God has given you right now in this moment? That's what the entire book of Ecclesiastes is really about. So many of us are going to have an opportunity to experience this very thing this week. I would challenge you to acknowledge where there is loss. I don't wanna be glib about that. This this week is gonna remind us of some things. Acknowledge that. But let's not lose what's not lost yet. Like let's not acknowledge this loss so much that we're not paying attention to what is. And make the most of that opportunity. There's a psychologist that talks about a patient that he met with on a regular basis that was experiencing regret so much so that it was paralyzing him, that he was having physical reactions to certain things. And so he did an exercise with him where he said, he grabbed a blank piece of paper, he made a black dot on this piece of paper, and he said, okay, what is it that you see? And he said, his patient looked at that, he says, I see a black dot. And he goes, that's exactly what's going on with your life. You see this, and the only thing you're focused on is this black dot, and you're missing the wide open space and opportunity, and moments, and experiences that are right here. And I wonder if that's us in here. I wonder if that we're so drawn to what isn't that we've missed what is. Are we able to have contentment with the space right here, the white space? Are we so focused on that black dot that takes up just that minimal part of that space? I think that's a good question. I think that's a healthy question for us to ask when it comes to that? Are we so focused on that black dot that we miss the white around it, even though it is greater than that dot? So life is short, but I think the other reason, as, Paul, or as Solomon describes right here, is that life is the lot. And that's that lot that God has given us. In verses 18 and 19, we read, for this is his lot, and to accept his lot. Solomon doesn't say you can't improve your lot. He's not telling you that. But he is saying that there is no use in wishing that you were someone else or that you wish you had someone else's lot, had their stuff, their gifts, their talents, their lot in life. It does no good to compare yourself to someone else because you're missing the precious gift that is right in front of you. Why is contentment so important? I think it's because it's the only logical response to this fleeting lot in life. I think it's the only way that we can actually grab onto the truth that God is bringing to us in the moment. And if it's that important, how do I become content then? And How do I get there? How do I move into that space that, that I'm actively participating in contentment? Well, I think there's two primary things that we ought to do, and Solomon hints at this. I think the first one is that we connect to the source of life. That when we, if we really buy into this idea that God is, is the one that has granted us a lot in life, then we need to be connected to that source. We need to be connected to the one that creates the lot. Stay with that uh, concept for a minute, okay? I, I want you to view your lot in life like your house is in a lot in your neighborhood. I think the temptation when we do this is to kind of peek your head over the fence And take a look at your neighbor's lot and to see all the fun things that they have in their yard, on their grass, and all the things that they get. And you sit there and go, ah, man, I wish I had that. When in reality, that neighbor's probably peeking his face over at yours and going, whew, I wish I had that too. And then we just have a lot of just anxiety that happens because we don't understand that God has given us a lot and he has blessed that lot. Verse 19, once more, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions. What in the world is Solomon talking about? Solomon, how man, you have the best of the best. Like he was a very wealthy person. He has gained everything that you can possibly gain. What's he talking about here? Verse 19 goes on to say, um, not only that God has given wealth and possessions, but also in the power to enjoy them. Why in the world would God have to give us power to enjoy the things that he has given us? And I think you know the answer to this. I think we all understand that acquiring and enjoyment are not automatically congruent. Like, they don't automatically go hand in hand. If you don't know the God of all things then those things will become your God. If if God is not your source for pleasure, then pleasure becomes your God. If if we start looking for meaning in things, if we try to get something out of things, money, sex, friends, toys, we're gonna discover they can't give that to us and we'll be like Solomon at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. Again, Chesterson says, Meaningless does not come from weariness of pain, but being weary of pleasure. You will always be chasing. You will always never be satisfied. So, the, so contentment, the making the most out of what's in front of us, making the most out of our lot, man, it's a precious gift given by God. Let's know the source of that. Let's know him. We receive that gift by faith. You've given me this life, Lord, now I'm going to make the most of it. We receive this gift, this lot, the same way we have received his salvation. The same way that we have received the cross of Jesus Christ, which is where God demonstrated his goodness, all his grace, all his life, and he put it on display for us to grab and receive that. We experience contentment not by turning our backs on the hand that feeds us, We experience contentment not by just finding the healing for our sin from God, not just planning for what the next life is like, but we receive it by letting him heal our suspicion that he isn't good. Because when we're not content with our lot, that's kind of what we're telling him. That's kind of what we're saying. God, this just isn't good enough. We can agree with Augustine when he says, Oh God, our hearts are restless until they find Our rest in you. And let's be connected to that source. And then secondly, we rely upon the strength of Christ. We rely upon the strength of Christ. He tells us in verse 20, For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. What is he talking about there? God will keep us so busy squeezing all the joy and opportunities before us that we will wonder where all the time went. I think Elizabeth Elliot says it best. The secret of contentment is Christ in me, not in different circumstances. And it is possible some, for someone to have the gift of eternal life, but never experience the gift of this life. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. You see, you can be godly, but lack contentment. For many this week, man, it'll be a highlight of that truth. The life of contentment is one that is a continual feast. And how do we gain this? By being connected to the source of life. And that we accept his salvation where he becomes the power of joy in your lot. So we invite you to do that very thing today. If Jesus needs to move into the position of Lord of your life so that you can experience his satisfaction and his power, move to the decision point. We have folks they're there and ready to lead you in that. But perhaps you heard this message this morning, and you go, Nick, you really don't know my lot in life. You don't know how hard it is. You're probably right. But I can tell you we do care. And if that's you, we've got some people who are wanting to pray with you about that as well. And so uh, here in just a second, we're going to sing a song. And during that song, if you've got a decision to make, we would challenge you to do that. But I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for you this week especially for those that might be experiencing this and and, and experiencing the tension that comes with this. So let me pray. When I'm done praying, we're going to stand and sing if you have a decision to make. Make your way to the decision point. Lord God, I'm so grateful Uh, that you are the source of all life. And God, that it's not dependent on us. And so, Father, you have placed in front of us uh, just a multitude of blessing. And sometimes, God, I get confused because I take my eyes off of that. And sometimes, Lord, I trip up because I am so constantly worried and obsessed about that which I don't have. And I forget that we already have you. And so, God, I pray that if there is someone here that their hearts are just stirred, that your Holy Spirit is doing a work in them right now, God, that they would have the courage to go to those uh, decision points and pray about that and seek you out in that. Because, God, you are the source and your strength is the only one worth relying on. And, Lord, we thank you for not just being our Savior, but for being our Lord, our King. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?